All right, welcome to a post-Labor Day edition of Backlash Podcast. I'm here with Brad Hoppy and Chase Gibson. We had kind of wanted to have a guest. Well, we're going. We had plans to have one, and then the plans changed. So we're guest list. Actually, Jeff, we do have a guest. We have Carrie Hoppy here. Holy crap! You didn't tell me Carrie was actually going to stick around. I got to talk to yep. her a little bit beforehand, but I didn't realize she was going to talk fishing. <laughs> She doesn't look very happy at you, Jeff. This isn't good. That's typical. I mean, <laughs> nothing. There's no surprise there. <laughs> you really messed up this time. Yeah, we. You were making the announcement, and she was over there with her arms in the air, like, what, "What's he doing?" Well, I thought she, she forgot she, about me again. I thought she was going to do work. Somebody's got to get something done around there. <laughs> I know I'm it's doing, not you and Chase. I'm doing both, Jeff multitasking i like it carrie you're a team player that's why we, that's why we have you around yep hold pro- things together probably, probably means that she is uh not gonna say a whole lot <laughs> well she's got to compete with you and chase for the phone over there so that makes sense right right exactly well carrie let's talk to you what's what's going on in your world how have things been the past two months good busy but i've managed to get some fishing in and Mika went back to school today, so should calm down a little bit. Pretty soon, Jeff, you'll get my my tree stand pictures. So that's good. Well, I mean, it is September, so it's. I mean, sadly, we're on the downhill slide now, right? I mean, we, we hit the peak usually for fishing lure sales. August is like the beginning of the end, I would say, and then you know we kind of slide down until we reach Christmas, and then we go to shows so that's things to look forward to right i mean you guys are doing shows and everything again this year right it'll probably be what three of them yep all signed up and ready to go better than me i'm only i got one deposit in for wausau i got payment into minnesota i still need to do my signups for milwaukee and chicago but i gotta get that done pretty quick it's actually um it's september like i said it's things are time's ticking away it's man this season's gone fast we talked about it last week and it hasn't slowed down at all. I mean, every week, it's just amazing. You know, Brad and I have these plans to get ahead on podcasts, and that never happens because time just slips by so fast. It's, I mean, my dad always told me that, how fast time. He's like, yeah, just wait till you get older. Time goes faster. Well, he's right. Yeah, it's amazing. It it definitely flew by this year. I don't know why. I'm not the only one saying it. I've heard it from a lot of people. This season just kind of, I don't know. It went rampant, right? It just boom, boom, boom. And here we are. We're in September. It, it's kind of mind boggling, honestly. Well, I mean, not to take time away too fast, but I mean, then after this episode, the next one that we have out where we have, you know, a planned guest for is going to be, I mean, mid September already. Like, that stinks. Like, September and October are the two best months to be on the water, in my opinion. And they just, I mean, I'm sure they, obviously they fly by as fast as all the other ones, but it just seems like they go even quicker. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's it's that time of the year where it should really start to get kind of exciting as well, right? I mean, August can uh, can be one of those months where it can be challenging to say the least, smaller bite windows and so on and so forth. And I think we've seen that this past August. So I don't know. I've been looking forward to that first cold front. We just had that this last weekend. And honestly, it really didn't do what I thought it was going to do. It's, you know, Chase made mention, I'll let him talk about this for a second, but 
teammate mentioned that uh, it seemed like the fish were preparing for that cold front before we even knew it was coming. After the cold front hit, they kind of did some weird stuff. So maybe I'll let Chase kind of uh, talk about that for a second. Yeah, so uh, I had a couple buddies coming up to fish with me for four or five days. Uh, my One of my best friends, Cody, and then uh, Joey White came up. And I kind of scheduled them for that time period trying to hit that first cold front, which we did. We hit that cold front perfect, but it was super weird. First two days out, or the first five hours out, was still hot. So we had two days of heat, and then the rest of the their trip was the cold front. So the first trip we go out, I'm, Joey's backing me down the boat ramp and I look on the boat ramp and there's a fish laying there, a muskie. And I'm like, hold on, Joey, stop the truck. <laughs> he stopped the truck, Cody jumped out, ended up catching the fish. It was just like a 30 incher, but it was pretty cool that his first Minnesota fish was before the uh, boat was even in the water and he hadn't even seen the lake for more than 30 seconds yet. So we did that and then we went out and I uh, checked shallow spots first and it wasn't 20 minutes in, I busted one out of the back of the boat with like a 30-incher on a, a single-bladed rabbit girl. And we kept going up this spot, and we raised probably five to six fish on topwater and bucktails. Then I decided, and those are all smaller fish, so I decided to go out a little bit deeper. I go out a little bit deeper, and uh, me and Cody were casting up on the shallow part of the structure, and I told Joey to cast off the outside of the structure because i knew there was a couple patches of good cabbage out there and uh, he's casting out there and he sets the hook and he has this great big old fish on it. he gets a uh, 49 on the little rabbit girl so they had a really good first day um then the next day was pretty flat calm and heat and we ended up with i think 146 is that right yeah yeah, yeah. on top water yeah 146 on top water Flat, calm, bluebird skies, stupid hot. She came up and ate a cannonball. Well, then the cold front comes the next day. And I'm thinking, all right, these fish are going to go nuts. That's up here, up shallow. Well, they weren't up shallow. For some reason, when that cold front hit, they pulled back off. And that's complete opposite of what I've always seen and was told about Minnesota. It's really weird. So the whole time that we're out there fishing, I'm just debating on what's going on. Why are these fish acting like this? Well, what I think is going on is they're seeing... They're, they know somehow, they know that that cold front's coming just say three to four days before it hits and they're getting up there shallow, even though it's still hot. And then when that cold front came, they went out deep. Well, we have a same, that exact same trend coming again. The next three days is 80 degrees. And then the couple days after that, it's back to a cold front. So I'm looking to, I'm going to guess that those fish are going to pull back up shallow today and the next two days. And then hopefully they stay there because this cold front looks like it's staying. But it's just really weird what I what I found there. I, I didn't. It didn't really make much sense, and we really had to cover a ton of water to figure that out. Brad, were you out on the water during the same time with them, or were you a separate boat, or what was your story? I mean, did you see the same trend? I was. Uh, I filmed the one day with those guys. Yeah, um, I can't remember. It was the day that he ended up getting that forty six on a Cannonball Junior. Other than that, no, I stuck around home over the weekend, the holiday weekend, and tried to play catch up and get as much stuff done as I could here in the shop because uh, after uh, we're done doing this podcast, I'm going on a, a bender, if you will, <laughs> for the next month and a half trying to film some TV shows, got some guide trips mixed in in between. 
So I, I'm pretty much totally out of the shop here for the next month and a half. Well, Brad, you know, you're, we'll use you as the, uh, as the guide here and Chase can jump in too. Obviously you got, you know, 45 more years experience than Chase does. I think you were fishing when you were like five, right? Musky fishing. Uh, I wasn't quite that. I did, but I can't claim any of that because uh, <laughs> I had the world's worst teacher in my father. <laughs> we tried musky fishing for years and, you know, we did annual trips for muskies in Canada. We seen fish. We never boated anything. So can't even put that into the uh, equation, I guess. All right. Well, I had a couple questions about things that I thought about over the weekend because I spent some time on the water. So Friday was hot, I believe. I'm pretty sure until Friday night, there was some major storms that came through and with it came a cold front. So typically what's your experience with cold fronts? Like is that next day, like the cold front came through at night. Is that next day? Is the fishing usually better or worse the same than say the previous day when the heat came through? What's your, what's in your experience, what have you seen? Well, honestly, Jeff, you, you had a different part to that equation there. You just said a storm front was moving as well. That's one of our battles that we've had over here pretty much through the whole month of August. I think we had one rain day, and, and honestly, that shut us down. I think Chase and I were filming that day, fortunately. That weather that came through, I think we got rain done. We took the cameras down for an hour, but that had them lit up and i you know weather trumps all right so what i'm talking about there is when you when you're out on the water and it's been stable say two weeks in a row and you have a storm front coming get on the water i mean it's that important it truly truly is so i think that was part of your equation with the cold front we did not have weather over here in minnesota for this past cold front generally speaking you know, if you get a really good shocking type cold front, those fish will push shallow. That's the norm with all these muskies over in this direction. And I think, you know, you can relate to that as well in Wisconsin and across the nation, really. They're going to push shallow because they want that warmer water. You know, if the water temps are dropping, they're going to go where they can warm up. That means sand. It can mean weeds, just depends on uh, what kind of weeds. And if it's really shallow weeds, they're going to get in there. Those weeds are going to accumulate heat as well. But sand and rocks really become key. I can agree with that. The rocks were definitely key. We checked weeds this weekend, and we had one small one, really small. I mean, it didn't get in the net, but I'm guessing it was 25, 26. The way they acrobat around when they're that small, you know, you know, you, you can, well, we obviously saw it, so we knew it wasn't big, but... The way big, the way the little ones act is definitely di- different than big ones. So that thing was skying out of there. But other than that, everything that we had seen was all on rocks, and they were piled onto rocks. I mean, there was one spot that had I don't know. I'm just guessing it probably had about 15 muskies or more on it. And apparently, everybody that was fishing for stuff other than muskies knew about it because we were contacted by numerous boats that told us, hey. Have you tried this spot? And one of them, we were pulling up to the spot. This was the first, like, so I fished weeds and went to rocks, and I'm pulling up on the spot, and there's a guy in a pontoon boat saying, like, he's like, hey, uh, just so you know, there's, uh, you know, a guy yesterday got three muskies here. I'm like, oh, that's a, that's good, maybe. I don't know. Like, that's that's the other question. Like, after a muskie eats, we, we debated this, how long do you suppose it is before they eat again? What's, what's your time frame? I've heard people catch them in the morning, and then they catch them in the afternoon, so I don't think there's, like, much like everything in musky fishing, there's no hard, fast rules. But what's your guess, Brad? 
That's a good question. I mean, you're talking about us flinging baits or are you talking about bait fish? You know, that, that's part of the equation too. So, I mean, if you look at some of these sucker guys um, that I hear about, you know, they catch the same 50 inch or twice in a day. I think when their feed bags are on, they're on, right? You know, and kind of relating back to the guy catching three on that rock pile, that, then you go there and actually catch fish. You got to remember this too. There's waves of fish, right? And they don't all eat at the same time. I mean, don't get me wrong. When things are really going and there's a weather, you know, storm front, whatever it might be, and they, they're got the feed bags on, they're going to eat, right? You got to remember that there's waves of fish. So fish might pull up on that rock pile. They do their eating. Then they slide back out and new fish come in and start eating as well. So a good eater spot is a place that you want to spend some time, right? How long do you spend there? Well, that's a good question. I mean, everybody tries to put together their little milk run of boom, boom, boom. This is what I'm going to do. I don't know. You know, it's really bizarre to me how unpredictable these fish really truly are. I can't really truly answer to you what that schedule is of their eating patterns. You know, it's strange. This whole month of August, really the moon phase has meant nothing. Nothing at all, really. We had a weird window where it was midday till about four thirty, five o'clock in the evening and then it would be done and you could fish sunset you could fish sunrise none of that really even equated it as well it was nothing to do with the moon you find these little windows and the only way that you know you really find the windows of when they're eating is by putting in a really long hard day to try to figure it out i mean chase said it yesterday are we gonna have to do another 24 hour day to figure out what these windows look like the odd part about it, so this weekend, I, I mean, most of the moon phase action was during the daytime hours. So you could, I mean, if you caught a muskie this weekend for where my location was, it was almost like you were going to for sure be in a window. Because if you fished for 10 hours, it was like there was moon windows like three different times. So it's kind of a, a strange deal there. Because I, I think, actually, I want, well, no, we caught one fish outside of a moon window and then we caught one fish definitely inside the moon window. So it was, it was, um, you know, in, interesting that way but anyway so okay so you, you let's talk about that so you talk about fish sliding off so let's just say you know you got a mild wind and it's a sunny sunny day the water is uh, i'd say mildly clear ish and then would trolling off structure be a tactic that you would use midday brad or would you continue to cast those shallow fish holding on shallow rocks well, I truly like to cast and prefer to cast before trolling, but, you know, I've never done real well on my water here in Minnesota. I mean, across the state, trolling shallow, basically. I mean, if, if I'm going to troll, I'm going to be off the break lines or I'm going to be in open water. I've done tons and tons of structure trolling. I used to give carry assignments all the time because we always had two boats and I'd say, carry, here's where the fish are. They're in eight to 15 feet of water and cabbage. Can you get out there and at least try to troll for like four hours so I can figure out if trolling bite is the answer? For whatever reason, short line trolling for me in the state of Minnesota has never, ever worked out. I'm not going to say you can't do it because there's guys that do, but I personally have not been able to put that that, uh, piece of the puzzle together. Now, if you're down in some of the different reservoirs like where Chase Fish is, it's such a popular way to fish, and, and it's definitely a key way to fish. I don't know, you know, I, I'm not sure. I don't know if it's because of the clear, clear water that we struggle. 
And I think a lot of times in the clear bodies of water, those fish, you almost have to dig them out of the weeds. It's, you know, with the zebra mussel changes that have taken place across our state, the water has always been clean over here and clear, but it's like, <laughs> it looks like drinking water sometimes. Right now we have kind of an algae bloom and that definitely changes things up a little bit. But I think with the zebra mussels, I'm seeing some changes over the last 10 years that these fish seem to be burying themselves in the weeds or they're sliding out off the structure and kind of hanging out on bottom just because of light penetration is what I, I believe it to be. So then the last part of my question would be, all right, so now we I've located a pot of fish and let's just say I'm going to go back five days later. Do you suppose those fish are still going to be around in that area? Well, it's kind of a loaded question, but yes, they should be, especially if your weather has been pretty stable. You know what I mean? If, if they haven't been hounded, nobody's been pressuring them, there's uh, plenty of food there, there's no reason for them to leave. I mean, the, if it's stable weather, I definitely believe that the stable weather is a big key. So going back on what Chase actually was talking about, and that is that he be believes that these fish they already know what the weather's going to do, right? Did they pull back out off the shallow stuff because they knew that it was going to warm back up this week? I mean, it's quite potential that that's what the deal is, right? I mean, any creature, whether it be white-tailed deer, fish, whatever it might be, they definitely know way more instinct than we do, you know, as human beings. We're so out of touch with our, with our surroundings in comparison to any kind of animal or fish. So, I definitely think that maybe that was a key factor on why they, they made their push up. They were getting prepared for that cold front. And then it's like, hey, the weatherman said it's going to warm back up shortly after. Did they pull back off? It's going to be really interesting to see what these fish do and how they react after this next cold front this coming weekend. I found it really interesting. So the, the spot that we caught on the first day that they were here had a lot of fish on it. I mean, we've we seen probably close to 10 fish follows and sitters. So I was in about six to three feet of water. Um, we got the 49, got two other smaller ones. The next couple days I hit the same area. And once the got cold, the actual cold front came, I thought, well, okay, I'll pull up on that spot. And those fish that we've seen sitting should eat really well. Well, then we didn't see them sitting there. So my next train of thought was, well, okay, well maybe they just pulled off and out in that eight to 10 foot of water. So yesterday I mainly targeted that I was, or two days ago, I was really trying to target the eight to 10 foot of water around where I seen fish shallow. And that definitely worked for me. Um, they weren't really eating. I will say that they were lazy follows and would see them sitting down there and eight foot of water in the cabbage and the thick crap. Um, it was really weird because when we seen them up shallow, they actually were in more bald stuff than they were the actual weeds so like if you were sitting in really pretty cabbage and you're like just expecting to see one we didn't see one but as soon as we got out of that and it turned into sand or like the moss bottom stuff there'd be a mid-40s laying there and it just really was confusing but it was kind of fun to try to figure that out but i ended up finding them out just a little bit deeper off the shallow structure um, we did end up getting one we had a, a little bite window that lasted about 30 minutes and we got Got one, lost one, and uh, I think raised one in just a 30-minute window. So just to 
an idea of where you're, you're thinking if they're going to stay there or not. They're probably in the area. They may not be on that exact spot on the spot, but they're definitely going to be in that same area, especially this time of year where it's a where it's they're wanting to be shallow. And if it's a shallow rock spot like you're talking about, I think those fish want to be on that rock, but maybe they feel the weather and like, all right, I'm not going to be on that rock right now. I'm going to wait a little bit. Well, they're just going to pull off and go out in just a little bit deeper water and hang out for a bit until they really feel comfortable getting up there. Do you guys think that maybe that wasn't a massive enough cold front? Yes. Or it was just, it was, it was definitely like the first cold front of the summer, but it was kind of a mild cold front. Yeah. Like didn't require you to wear a sweatshirt all the time and pants. You could, you needed to in the evenings, but not necessarily throughout the day. Like this one that's coming is a much more aggressive cold front with some weather the way my phone reads. So let's hope the weatherman's not wrong this time. Yeah. No, I agree with that 100%. Uh, so both of my friends have never been up here, and I'm telling them the whole time, all summer, that first cold front's going to be awesome. Well, we get out there, and like Carrie said, we didn't have any weather attached to it. So it was bluebird skies every day that they were here. And the one night, it got down to the 50s, and then the next night, it was down to like 49. Well, we were wearing our rain gear and hoodies for the first 30 minutes of the day. And then once that sun came up over it was instantly back to getting hot and it really didn't feel much colder than the days before. So I really don't think it was a big enough cold front to really make them want to get up there and start eating. But looking at the weather coming, I think it's for sure going to do that. I think they're really going to pull up. They're going to stay up and they're going to really eat baits. So, and we got weather coming like Carrie said. So I think it's going to be a really, a lot better cold front than what we just experienced. Yeah. The potential for storms, along with this cold front and then if you look at the extended forecast it doesn't get back up into the 80s or upper 80s like it's going to this week and that truly is going to make a bigger difference uh, water temps did drop slightly but uh, you got to remember that's mostly surface that we're always watching so until that surface temp drops say five degrees it's not going to be real effective in, in a huge major change other than the barometer changes that come with a cold front. This is why we pay Carrie the big dollars. That was a pretty, pretty good insight there, Carrie, with the uh, not big enough cold front, because I can definitely agree with you. I mean, I know what you're saying. Like, we we didn't have to wear pants this weekend fishing, but we did. We had to wear sweatshirts in the morning, like you said. So it's, and and much like you also said, this weekend definitely looks like it's going to be uh, quite a bit different. I'm not going to be on the water, but it's going to definitely be a little bit different for people that are much, much cooler. You won't be wearing shorts. I don't think this weekend. Oh, I will just because I refuse to not do it. I refuse to give up summer, but <laughs> I might not be outside as much. Right. I was going to um, say, if you're hanging out in the shop, you could still wear them, but I don't know if you're going to be out in the water doing it, especially early right. in the morning, unless you're putting your ribs on. Jeff, I don't go out early in the morning. I was, I was out very early on Sunday morning and man, cause it was so cold up North. It got to probably like 45 degrees. There was so much smoke on the water. It was unreal. You could hardly navigate the lake. It was very, very overcast because of the, all the fog coming off the water. Cause I mean, the water temperatures were still warm. I mean, relative warm. Like it was like 70, I think I saw by the time I was done fishing on Sunday night. So yes, yeah, we didn't even get these guys. I don't like to get up in the morning. So or morning fishing is out for me, but uh, these guys were up and we never even really had the, the fog on the water or anything like that. We'd get down into the, the fifties, but not like that extreme cold 
hit, oh, you know, the first time, and then you see all the heat coming out of the water in the morning. Yeah. I think we only dropped a degree. And then in the evening, you know, I, I fished, what day, Sunday did I fish? I fished Sunday afternoon into the, like, right up to dark. And you didn't need, I mean, shorts and a t-shirt were fine until the sun really started to go down. And then you needed a sweatshirt. And Big Dave, my partner, he was frozen solid, but he's not from around here. So, but yeah, I mean, it was just kind of nice weather, honestly, not enough not not an aggressive enough cold front to really turn things around, in my opinion, mm-hmm. anyway. I definitely think, you know, Jeff, you touched on something. You were talking smoke on the water. And I know the morning that I went and filmed with these guys, <laughs> we had a little bit of fog as we were driving to the lake, but the lake never had any fog on it whatsoever. And, and that's kind of a tattletale as well. You're not losing any heat in your water when that isn't, you know. If you're not seeing fog in the mornings guess what? It's not sucking any heat out of that lake. You know what I mean? I mean, it it is, but it's not drastic. Put it that way. Well, I can tell you that on Sunday morning, it was definitely sucking heat out of that lake. It was seriously foggy. Like, I mean, if somebody was in front of you, like, I don't know, 20 yards, you wouldn't have seen them for sure. 10 yards, I don't know if you would have seen them. It was pretty heavy. It was probably one of the more heavy fogs I've seen on the water in a long time. It was what did it do to your water temps, Jeff? Uh, it dropped them probably about three degrees overnight, I would say, from the night before. But then the sun came out in the afternoon, and by the time night came around, the surface temps were back to normal. I mean, back to what they were in the morning. Yeah, that that's the gig, right? I mean, those temps, that surface temp is not changing. I mean, you think about it. That sun's still got a ton of kick in it, so that's a big part of the equation as well. And if you think about, um, you know, our days are finally starting to get shorter, noticeably shorter. You know, the sun's going down earlier. All of that combination. But, man, it's amazing. That sun, when it comes out, and if it's bright and no clouds, it's putting some heat on you. No wind. No wind is another factor. What's that? No. We have nothing but wind here. Not the days that I was out there smoking uh sweating like crazy yeah thursday through saturday was like dead flat here i mean talk about uh just brutal it felt like we were in june or july fishing you know brad you were talking about days getting shorter it's amazing how fast that sun starts once it's once it hits like a little bit above the tree line it's below the tree line quickly it's 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 so disappointing i gotta tell you it is like i was saying to my buddy i'm like man i could i'm already looking forward to like july you know when it's sun like when basically you could fish till 9 30 without any any issues you know at all yeah over here on our part of the world you know being a little bit more northwest than you are we uh we definitely sun doesn't go down till like 10 <laughs> in the month of june and july so it, it's pretty amazing yeah like carrie said at 11 o'clock we can still see the sun in fact you know that makes for long days that's for sure it's good for you gives you that couple extra hours to try to figure these stupid fish out well we've been doing it for years trying to figure them out and you know the last time we had chase on here he said it plain and simple and and he's not wrong he's like we don't know what we're doing and we've joked about that since we did that podcast and and honestly you know every year's a little different and yeah you can go back and rely on some memories and what have you but 
you know, those memories, uh, they come a little bit short every once in a while, just in the fact that you don't remember every detail, right? And uh, that can be the challenge that uh, definitely sets you apart from somebody else is, is making sure that you're not just fishing memories. You also have to adapt to exactly what's going on on that body of water. If you were an individual who liked to log things, that's where having a log book comes in handy. Because I know Brad used to steal a friend of ours his book and go tell me what happened this time this time of the year three years ago and paul would flip back in his book and say this is what happened and brad would move on from there but brad is not a logbook person he will not make a logbook of his own he goes off of his steel trap memory and you know and then agrees with chase when they say they don't know anything <laughs> well, i think i've changed brad. <laughs> <laughs> i think i've changed brad when it comes to the second questioning and because i'm i know i'm guarantee you a lot of my clients and a lot of stuff have probably been out there on the water with me and and just say where it's a tough day they can definitely tell my wheels are turning my head because i'm a person that is constantly thinking about what to do next how am i going to get these fish to eat where did they go what happened overnight and I, i i love that i think that's what really makes me uh really makes me happy when it comes to musky fishing i mean I, I love catching them obviously i love the days where you got here and you catch five to ten fish and you get a couple big ones but i, I really noticed this past uh four or five days when the fishing was pretty tough that i had i had i had a lot of fun no i didn't catch for many fish but i had a lot of fun as far as trying to figure them out and when my plans are starting to puzzle piece together it was really uh, satisfying so I, I'm always thinking about where I need to go, what happened, why are these fish being stupid, how do I make them smarter, and uh, how do I outsmart them to make them eat. And that's where I really enjoy this whole sport is, is that right there. The one thing I wanted to go back on is the water temp thing. I've, I've noticed, uh, at least podcasts I've been on, whatever, we've talked about how the surface temp, the, there's not really that big of a deal when the surface temp changes. This time of year, I kind of think it does because those fish, you got to think a lot of those fish, when they're shallow, they're in less than, I'll say less than six feet, but a lot of times I've caught them a lot in uh, less than three feet. Well, surface temp is really not that far from three feet. Three feet's not very much water. So I do think it matters um, this time of year. It definitely comes into play because we were out on a different body of water one day and the water temps were in the 75 range, 74, 75 up shallow. And then out off of it in like eight to 10 foot of water, it was like 73, 74. Well, the next morning was our first day of the cold front. So I went back up shallow again. Water temps were, I think, 70. And then out a little deeper was 71. By 12 o'clock, the three foot of water was back up to 75, 76. And then the out a little bit deeper was 73, 74. So that just goes to show you that that cold front will cool the water off. But what's warming up faster? It's the shallow water. That's why those fish go up shallow this time of year is because they want that warmer water. And those days that it was like that, 100% is if I was on a bald spot that was 200 yards long, that was way warmer than the cabbage spot or the junk weed spot that was 200 yards long. And that's where the fish were, were on that bald spot. It's funny that Carrie was talking about logs. So, and, and you were talking about water temperatures. That's one thing that I wish I did more of. And we had a conversation like that in the boat this weekend. Typically this week, this Labor Day weekend, we've always done you know, fairly well. We've been able to find some fish and typically we're finding them in weeds. And when we weren't finding them in weeds, the two of us were like, well, I wonder what the water temperatures have been the last few years that we've been finding them here. 
and neither one of us had any idea. And that's where keeping a logbook would have been handy. Not that you can specifically live off memories, but it'd be curious to know how much things change year to year. And I don't, I don't have those details memorized that well. I mean, I could tell you what baits we catch fish on and, you know, location and spots and stuff like that. But I, I can't remember all that stuff. I got too many other things that clutter my head. I've done a lot of that too. I cannot keep a log book. I've tried. It just does not work. I never take the time. If I'm catching them, I'm not going to sit down and start writing a book. I can't do it. But what I will do a lot is if I'm on like a weird specific pattern of uh, like up here, the fish pulled up shallow and we caught some fish and seen some big fish. I'll take a picture of my graph. I'll have the temperature on there, the depth. I'll have the spot. So you have those three key things there already, and you have the date, the time of year, and you have fish pictures to go along with it. And how my brain works is I, I know what bait those fish ate. I just will never ever forget that. I can remember every, almost every fish I've ever caught and what it was on, but I do forget depths, water temps, and whatever. So taking a picture of your graph is a really easy way to do it. And that, that graph picture is right there with your fish pictures, and, and it's got dates on it. So you have that quickly. To look back on instead of trying to write everything down but if you can write everything down more power to you i'm jealous of it well i got a quick question then jeff did you uh did you make a log then after this weekend since you're talking about it no of course i didn't i do <laughs> i do like chase's idea though like taking a picture of the screen that's actually pretty solid i mean for a guy from the south that's that's pretty good thinking right there <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's weird sometimes i have good ideas every once in a while yeah, don't ask him about where his keys are his wallet. Oh, be quiet, Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> Chase, where where are your keys in your wallet, by the way? Keys are in the pocket. Wallet's either in the truck or in my room. All right. <laughs> <laughs> now he's thinking you should see his face. It's not. I mean, I, I know right where they're at. <laughs> <laughs> There's been too many times where Carrie's yelled at me for my keys. They kind of glued to my body now, so. <laughs> the wall is probably going to have to start being glued to the body so I don't get uh, chastised by Carrie every day. So I got a question for you guys. You do a lot of filming, and I'm assuming it's just you, mostly just you and, and Brad in the boat, right, Chase? Yeah. Well, we have, if we can, we usually have a uh, someone with us that we can film with, too. So, um, But sometimes we, we go out alone. Um, it makes it a little harder to get all the right shots, especially when GoPros go bad. That's really frustrating, but we like to have at least a third person. Well, because you were talking about making a log and how it takes too much time and you're concentrating on catching muskies and all that kind of stuff, and I totally agree with all that. So, you know, every time I'm out, I'm always running some cameras. So I got a couple fish. We got some cool footage. And I'm like, this isn't going to make that good of a video. I'm like, I didn't stop at all during the day, talk about what we were doing, take B-roll shots, none of that stuff. How do you guys fit all that in? That's definitely a huge challenge, and uh, I'll give Brad a good bit of credit for that because that was one thing that we heard from people like at shows and just friends and stuff telling us that we didn't really talk enough last year. And we talked a little bit last year, but not that great. I'll say this year we've done a lot better job, and like I said, I'll give Brad the credit because we'll catch a fish, and I'm definitely the type of person, if I catch a fish, I'm all happy about the pictures and stuff, but I want that fish in the water, and I want to be standing right back up and casting again. And, uh, so Brad will get the camera and he'll run up and tell me to talk about the fish and I'll do a quick little talk, talking point or whatever about it. So this year I would expect, uh, people to be a lot more happy with our talking points and we're going more in depth of, you know, the whole basis, the structure, the bait, the, 
the cadence of the work and the bait and all that. So we definitely did a lot better this year with that. We're going to continue to try to strive and do better on that. So hopefully uh, it'll be better. There's been a huge learning curve. I mean, I, I've always done videos, but the one thing that I will say is that when you have a time restraint, meaning a TV show is uh, 28 minutes and 30 seconds. Well, that time restraint really changes the way that you edit. If you just keep editing, blah, 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 boom, 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 you've got six minutes and 32 seconds. Good enough, throw it on YouTube. But when you're doing an actual TV show, it definitely changes the way that you have to edit. Believe me, I'm no editor, but I'm editing. So <laughs> I'm learning a ton. You know, Mayhem's 10,000 cast is raw, pure musky fishing. There's no staged events. And I think, you know, that, that's the key in this show. And, and I want it to be raw. And I want it to feel that way because that's the real deal, in my opinion. Well, like last year, like I said, you're saying that it's raw and stuff, and it is. But last year, uh, we have, and it's a huge learning curve, like he said. He's, he's learned to edit, and I need to start learning to edit. And, but we, we do, I think we're very in tune now of how our show is going to lay out um, as far as we catch a fish, the B-roll, and how, how the whole show should flow. We, I think we've got that down pretty good compared to last year. Last year... I think we had a lot of uh, technical difficulties with mics and stuff like that, but we had some good fish on the on the show. So this year, I think it's going to be twice the show as last year. Hopefully, hopefully people really enjoy it. But it's definitely uh, we've definitely stepped up the game since last year. So I'm excited to see what gets pumped out. It's just so difficult for me to take time, like you said, out of the day to just talk about what what happened because you're always so, you know, you. When you're shooting and you're filming content, now this doesn't have much to do with helping people catch muskies, but just thoughts in my head. You're trying, you know, you're going through your day and you're just trying to catch muskies because you can't put a video out unless you have muskies, in, in my opinion, most of the time. You could probably do it, you know, one episode or two episodes maybe and people will still watch it. But if you do it every week, it's, it's like you got nothing. So you got to catch fish. And then once you catch one, you want to catch two and it, it's, it's hard for me to slow down and be like, okay, I really, really need to just stop and, and talk to the camera. It's that part's a struggle for me. So the stuff that I caught, I don't know if it'll make a video or not. I maybe would have to go back and, and try to do something together. Cause I didn't talk at all about, I mean, I talked after we caught the fish, but I didn't talk at all during the day. Like talk about what structure we're fishing, how the day is going. None of that stuff. Baits, n nothing. Hopefully you guys are better at that than I am. Well, I can tell you, Jeff, one of the things that uh, Chase and I really concentrated on this year so far, too, is, is putting out a small video clip of a fish that maybe didn't make the cut. And, and it isn't because of the quality of the fish, but what it is, is it's not a full show. And so, you know, if some people want to see some of the fish that didn't make the cut, they can go to Mayhem's 10,000 Cast, both on Instagram and Facebook. And we've been trying to pump out some of those fish every Friday. Take that video that you just uh, you caught some fish this weekend and put something short together and throw it out there on uh, your social media platform. It definitely uh, is something that people enjoy. So we've tried to, to make that happen as well. The other thing is, is that we do have something coming up here. I don't know exactly when, but if you're not following on Mayhem's 10,000 Cast, both Instagram and Facebook, we are going to do some giveaways and I definitely think it'd be worthy of the people's time to uh, check it out. So it should be fun. You know, we're going to continue to grow this. 
I'm never happy. And I know Chase is the same way. And so we're bouncing a lot of ideas off of one another. I do think, uh, like Chase said, the show is going to be better this year. I can see some stuff that, you know, we're learning and growing every day. And I think uh, it's only going to improve again. And like I said, we're never happy. So we're just going to keep working at it. We're going to make it happen the way we want it to be. Before we get out of here, I know you guys have things to do and we all do. But anyways, let's talk. So you're, we're talking, you know, massive cold front or, or a more serious cold front potentially for this weekend. What should be the approach or what should be some tips that somebody can use to put some more fish in the boat this weekend if they're dealt with that, you know, I'd say that more massive cold front? Because it is definitely supposed to be warmer in the Midwest and it's definitely supposed to be cooler this weekend. What's your thoughts on that? Well, number one, it looks like we're going to get weather. Um, what I'm talking about there is some storm fronts, either Thursday or Friday. I'm hoping it comes Thursday because when I looked at the weather last night, they were talking almost 90 some degrees on Thursday. I don't want to deal with that heat again. You know, it's fall. We're supposed to be getting into our fall, fall mode. But uh, definitely, if you see those storms coming and you have the opportunity to get on the water, get out there. And I know sports have started and everything else now for, for the fall sports. Thursday and Friday, if that weather comes in, get out there. Second of all, after that weather and those temps, it looks like this is going to be a major cold front. It's going to hold. I would definitely start looking at some sand as well as rocks, number one. If you're not seeing them shallow, keep, you know, pay attention while you're fishing as well because you're going to see some sitters. Maybe they're not going. Maybe they're not eating at that particular moment, but watch for those sitters. Once you see them, you find a bite window, guess what? You can go back on them and potentially catch those fish. So definitely start shallow from there. You know, Chase hit it on the head earlier. They're going to be relating to that shallow but they might be pushed out just a little bit. So definitely take a look at that as well. All right, Brad covered uh, thoughts on location. Chase, why don't you talk a little bit about what baits you'd be throwing? Yeah, so, I mean, we went out there expecting this cold front to be the cold front, which it wasn't. So hopefully the one that Brad's talking about is. But what I had my guys starting out with, we were doing so well in that flap tail the past, the last half of August. I had uh, a flap tail running. I had a fat bastard running and then i was in the back throwing the rabbit girl well then it quickly found out that the fish were more keen on the faster moving bait so they were following the fat bastard and they were eating the rabbit girl um so the the flap tail definitely slowed down for for me at least in my boat and it was more obnoxious topwaters and it was kind of weird um i actually ended up throughout the four or five days we fished we ended up going up to the cannonball junior and what it seemed to me like is you got a lot less follows and you really needed to throw it all day, but when you, they would actually eat that thing. So instead of you getting a follow or a lazy follow, they would just come up and absolutely obliterate it. And I think it was more of a reaction thing that baits uh, move in a ton of water. It's super loud. They just couldn't help it. So that, that was kind of a reaction bite type thing. And I think the little bait with the rabid girl was also that too. For such a small bait, and I'll be completely honest, when I seen those things last year, I thought they were one of the ugliest bucktails I've ever seen in my life. But they started to look a lot better when I started putting them in fish's mouths and putting them in the bag. So they're a really cool bait. I, I like the single blade a little more. I think it's louder. Um, it doesn't wear you out, and it's a small presentation. And the reason I started throwing them to begin with here shortly, I started seeing all these perch. When you're up in that shallow water, I talked about on the last podcast, you start seeing bait. Well, what are you seeing up there as bait? 
what I've been seeing is bluegills, rock bass, and uh, a lot of perch. And that most of those fish are four to six inches long. So I wanted a small little bait. And the rabbit grill, to me, is a perfect presentation when it, it looks just like a perch, especially the squirrels, the rabbit squirrels. And then the single blade is really loud. Um, you can put some speed on it, and it's super loud. So that was a, really a key bait for me, and I plan on keeping that on because uh, it doesn't wear you out, like I said. And it's awesome, little bait. Packs a big punch for such a small bait. But I would go with small bucktails fast. Um, at least what I found was a topwater that's pretty loud and cranking on it pretty good. I mean, it doesn't have to go crazy fast, but uh, especially if you have some wind, that works. I uh, did well on a dirty bee from chaos tackle and we had some wind that was a good bait they wouldn't follow it but they just come up and eat it which is how i like it but top waters and little bucktails and you can depending on how they're acting the speed changes but if they're uh if they're chasing a lot right on the bait when they're following i would crank it up a couple notches and really burn that thing in yeah one of the things too that i thought was really interesting jeff in chase said that in the beginning the mk65 by bomb squad that thing was catching fish and it was getting tons and tons of activity tons of follows well guess what sometimes those follow fish they're not going to eat that bait right so that's when uh chase started making some changes with some of the faster top waters and made them fish make a choice right so definitely something to think about but i will say you know last year we were fishing um on one of the shows where where jeff schulte the creator of that bait actually caught a 54 and a half and the cool thing about that was kind of the same scenario that we're going to have this week honestly yeah. we had another little bit of a warm-up and uh when those fish are lazy sometimes those flap tails can get her done that's for sure but keep in mind if you're moving fish and they're following maybe change it up a little bit another small bucktail that's been working pretty effectively is the single girl quite a few fish have fallen with that in the last week or so so it's a good thing definitely something to think about something that you can put speed on without punishing yourself and uh, then from there you know change it up and try to figure out exactly what they really want to eat yeah a lot of people when they they talk about september fishing and the shallow water fishing is everyone wants to everyone always talks about showgirls and smaller bucktails well and then they talk about speed. I think sometimes you don't need that speed. Like where those fish were up shallow that we saw and they weren't really active. They were just up there. I slowed down with the uh, rabbit girl. I was just throwing it out there and I wasn't burning it. I was just going kind of a medium pace and that's what was getting bit. But I think when they're actually up there and they're really wanting to eat, I don't think you can go wrong with burning as fast as you can. But definitely play with that. But I would definitely keep the bait small because I think they're up there eating bluegills and, and uh, crappies and perch. So the smaller bucktail thing, I think that's why it's such a big thing for this time of year is because they're in that shallow water eating small baits. All right. Well, I guess this episode is, uh, that's about all we need to put to it. If people are out fishing and you're looking for gear for your next musky fishing adventure, make sure you check out teamrhinooutdoors.com. We have pretty much your bases covered for everything you're going to need for fall. If you're looking for rubber and this month, if you're still looking for blades, we got you covered there. Uh, Suix, topwaters, everything. I mean, we, we have what you need. And you can also go and shop with Carrie over at Muskie Mayhem Tackle. Carrie, why don't you talk a little bit about Muskie Mayhem Tackle? Muskie Mayhem Tackle is the original big bladed flash blue bucktail manufacturer. Um, we make bucktails from 13 inches down to what's an MDC, a four inch bucktail. We make single blades, double blades, all kinds of, I don't know, what, what do you want me to say, Jeff? 
There you go. You, That's what I want you to say. We make the best bucktails. How about that? Sure. Yeah, that'll work. Yep. <laughs> you've got every combination possible you've got yeah we do have every combination possible you can make you can go on the website and make your own custom color if you want to have one that's unique to your that your buddy doesn't have so you can outfish them yeah if if you're looking for bucktails we got hair bucktails flashaboo bucktails marabou bucktails squirrel tail bucktails Am I missing anything? Yeah. Skunk, whoops, silicone rubber, skunk tails. Yep, we can do it all. All right, sounds good. And where can they find it? They can find it at muskymayhemtackle.com. All right, guys. Well, guys and gals. All right, all right, musky anglers. I'll let you all go. We got things. <laughs> we got things to do today. Uh, I got to catch up from this past weekend. Still got a few orders I need to get out today, and uh, I got to get this episode up so we can try to help some people catch some more fish this weekend. So once again, we want to thank everybody for taking time out of their schedule, putting up with us for another episode. And we'll see everybody with a guest, not Carrie, another guest, next week, Wednesday. 